Welcome to the Seattle Sports Union podcast. I am Brian Solman Solak. We are joined by a returning guest, Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times, the NA, their NHL writer and columnist. He covers the Seattle crack. And welcome back, Jeff. Hey, great to be back on, guys. Appreciate coming on, man. Um, I want to. We talked to you six months ago, and we briefly talked about you're coming out with a book called Rising from the Deep. Um, it's supposed to come out in November. Will you tell us, tell us and our fans about it? Yeah, it's coming out November 1st. Uh, it's going to be, it, it, it's, it's partially a hockey book, partially a sports business and political book. It's about, you know, all the years long steps that it took to get Climate Pledge Arena renovated and to get the uh, Seattle Kraken hockey team to Seattle. And, and when I talk about years long, I'm talking about going back to the demise of the Seattle Supersonics, uh, sort of the events that led to that happening, uh, the history of Seattle sports and, and subsidies for, for public arenas and public stadiums. And um, just basically the, the inside stuff about some of the political battles that, that took place here in the city. I mean, uh, we had um, uh, a rival arena project that, that was started up by Chris Hansen that was supposed to take place in the Soto district next to uh next to t-mobile park and next to lumen field um that didn't happen but you know it nearly did there were there were a lot of things a lot of issues that that led into that and so it's really about that really about the rise of the oakview group how they kind of rose out of the ashes of the of the the soto project when that failed and then you know some of the obstacles that they had to overcome just, you know, winning over the population here in Seattle and some of the politicians in order to get Key Arena uh, re privately renovated for $1.2 billion, which when you look at it, that, that's arguably the best sports stadium or arena deal probably ever done um, in, in the history of, of North American sports. Um, there's not too many that, that come around and offer to take a, an aging city-funded relic that Key Arena was, even though it was profitable, it was going to need hundreds of millions popped into it for it to stay profitable very much longer. And they basically spent a billion too. You don't see that happening uh, anywhere around the country. Um, you, you've seen other private arenas built, but a lot of them were mostly from scratch. They weren't taking a problem off the city's hands and, and, and giving them the equivalent of a brand new facility. And, and I think that a lot of that got lost in a lot of the debate we had here in Seattle about what the right arena path to be taken was. And I, I understand it. I get it. There's a lot of emotions about the Seattle Supersonics and when they're going to come back here. Um, and, and there were people that, that didn't trust uh, that, that that was going to happen if you renovated Key Arena, which is what they did. And a lot of people wanted the Soto project to happen. And so the book kind of examines all of those things. Okay. Uh, when... What made you want to write the book? Is this an idea that came to you or did someone approach you or? Yeah, I wish I could say it was all, all my idea. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to do some kind of a cracking book and I had a relationship with, um, with, with Triumph Books in Chicago. I, okay. I had done a, a Sounders book with them a, a few years ago and, and I approached them and said, hey, uh, do you want to do some kind of a project? And they had read a lot of my stuff about the arena. Uh, about the, uh, the the Soto project, about the battles to to get an expansion team here, and, and they thought they really liked that. I mean, I have years worth of sports business columns and 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 articles about the situation, and so they took a look at that and they said, "Why don't we make that into a book? We think it's going to sell nationally." 
And I, you know, I, I had thought about doing a book on this for a long time, but I mean, I had always thought there would be mostly local interest in it. I hadn't really thought of it from the perspective of trying to educate people about the history of Seattle, not, not just in sports, the history of Seattle in general and how the city came to be and sort of the, the mindset that exists here, which is unique. A lot of the Pacific Northwest dynamics pretty unique to this region. And, and, and we, we pride ourselves on that here. And I wanted to try to explain that to the rest of the country. And, and so they, they kind of guided me along and, and gave me an idea of what they were looking for. And I, I actually thought it was a really good idea and I had never really thought of it that way, that it could have a broad national appeal. And so that's how I wrote the book. I wrote it for people that might be a sports fan sitting in New York City that has no idea about Seattle sports or, or the history of it. Um, and so that's what I wanted them to know. And in a lot of ways, it's the story of the Laiwiki brothers, Tim and Todd, as well. I mean, Tim Laiwiki has been one of the most successful arena builders in the history of arena building and, and, and stadium building, just from his time when he was chairman of uh, the Anschutz Entertainment Group. And so that, that's never been chronicled before. So I had a lot of access to both brothers for, for the last five, five to seven years. And so I wanted to, to definitely trade off of some of that within the book. And, and I was very happy that uh, Jerry Bruckheimer uh, agreed to write the foreword to the book. I asked him on a whim, I said, hey, by the way, and I never thought he would say yes. And, and he did me a real solid. I mean, I, I grew up watching Jerry Bruckheimer movies as a kid, even starting with Flashdance 40 years ago. And I never thought in a million years that his name would be up next to mine uh, in print somewhere. So uh, I gotta say, I'm really thrilled with that. And that is him helping me out and not the other way around. So that's very cool. How exciting. We can't wait to read that as well. Um, you, you said a lot of good things, but was there like, did you have a personal favorite moment when you were doing the book? I mean, maybe talking, I, I don't know, talking to this person or this person, or I guess I'm trying to say is, was there a favorite moment right in the book that you care to share? Well, honestly, one of my favorite parts of the book is at the very beginning. Um, I sat down and I had lunch with uh, former Seattle mayor, Ed Murray, who okay. hasn't given any interviews since he left office. Uh, he basically vanished four years ago. And, and I know, uh, sorry, he vanished five years ago now. And, and but I, I spoke to him, I, I had lunch with him last winter for the book and we sat down because he, he played a huge role in everything that was going on up until he left office in 2017. Now, of course, he left office under terrible circumstances, was accused of uh, sexual abuse by multiple um, alleged victims. And uh, he opted not to run again and then he opted to resign. Um, and, and so, you know, very interesting circumstances, was never charged criminally, was never charged, you know, was never successfully sued by any of these people. And, and yet, I mean, he's obviously finished as a politician. So I thought that story was fascinating to begin with. And yeah, you know, I, I weighed all the pros and cons of talking to him. And I decided eventually, like, hey, I, I can't not speak to Ed Murray about this. He was in office throughout the most turbulent times of this, the, the entire arena debate that we were having here. Uh, he, he was in office for when the Lawicki group showed up and, and he got them through the request for proposals process to, to actually spend this billion two on the arena. Uh, and, and he was in office when Chris Hansen was trying to get the Soto arena done and when it was ultimately defeated uh, by a city council vote. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 I get it. I mean, look, Ed Murray's obviously been canceled. He's, he's not going to be a mayor ever again. He's not going to be in public life ever again. Um, but I can't cancel him 
when I'm trying to chronicle the history of the arena, I've got to speak to him and find out. And he was very, he offered a lot of insights um, into what was going on, stuff that he never would have told me when he was in office. And, and it's great. You know, here we are years later, and I'm especially talking about the Hansen process where he, he was defeated and where the Laiwiki process ended up getting jump-started. So that would be around 2016. I mean, there's so many, but with the passage of time, all of this stuff that I was chronicling at the moment, you know, you're doing it, you're writing history as it's happening. You don't always see the big picture, but now six years later, I'm able to see the big picture. And Murray was able to fill in quite a few blanks, uh, not just Murray, but other people as well. Willing, you know, they were able to fill in quite a few blanks as to what I was missing maybe six years ago, where everything now makes perfect sense. And, and I, I hope that comes across in the book. And so like the first chapter of the book's all about me having lunch with Murray. And so um, that was interesting for me. Uh, there's a fun part of the book that, that I talked about at one point, and it involves going to an Eagles concert. You know, so, so I'd flown down to the Oakview Group headquarters in Los Angeles. And, and so Tim Laiwiki's partner is a guy named Irving Azoff, who's been the longtime manager of the Eagles. And if you watch the Eagles uh, on Netflix, they have this great documentary on them. And Irving Azoff's there, much younger than he is now. And he's getting noogies from, uh, I think it was from uh, Glenn Fry and all that. Like they, they, he was just one of the gang. So anyway, he's Tim Laiwiki's partner. So I, I had bought tickets for my wife to go to the Eagles concert. At, they were doing it at, at what was then Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park here in Seattle. But I was down at the Oakview Group in LA about five days before, um, just doing a feature on them, seeing how they operated, like what, what, what their, I mean, they still hadn't been approved yet by city council here. This is in, back in 2017. And so, you know, at the Seattle Times, we want to see, are these guys legit? Like, what, what does their setup look like? So I went there and met, met them all, spent the day at their offices. Uh, met Irving Azoff, met all these people. And then, so I take my wife and they tell me, hey, like we're producing this Eagles concert. I didn't even realize that at the time that they were actually the ones producing this concert that I'd gotten great, great seats for my wife and me. We we're in like two rows off the stage. And so I go down there and, for the concert five days later. And then their, their guy that I had dealt with, one of their media guys says, hey, you want to come up and say hi to Tim and those guys? So we came up, they had a suite there and they had a suite with the who's who of the sports world. I, I'm not going to name everybody because I don't want people to buy the book. But, but there were a lot of the key sports figures up in there. And, and I said, you know, this is interesting because I wanted to take a look at these folks because, you know, they, they obviously had a lot of connections that people weren't aware of. I mean, you know, you got, there's some folks in there. I mean, you got the president of the Seahawks is in there. You got the owner of the Sounders is in there. John Stanton's next door throwing a thing in his suite. He comes over, says hello to everybody. And then Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth show up. Oh, wow. uh, because they're doing Sunday night football and Al Michaels, a longtime friend of, of Tim Laiwiki's. And, and so I uh, got to meet those guys very quickly. And then at one point, Tim, Tim Laiwiki's nephew, a uh, fun guy named Dan, who's now a vice president of the crack. And he, he says, Hey, everybody, you want to tour down there? You want to come down to the floor? And so everybody follows him down to the floor, this group of about a dozen people. And nobody knows that um, it's not really an authorized tour. Because Oakview Group doesn't own Safeco Field or anything like that. They, they, they're just kind of renting the venue out with Stanton. They're producing this. And so he just leads these guys down to this impromptu tour on the floor. We're walking right up to the stage. I walk right by the seats that I had paid for for my wife and me, which we were supposed to be sitting in. And, uh, and we're standing there for like two seconds. And Collinsworth's like six foot five. And so before long, you know, the people start complaining. The ushers come over, they throw the group out. And so we go and move to another section. And Dan Lewick is just leading everybody all over the place. We're getting thrown out of every section by every usher. 
And meanwhile, so my wife and I said, all right, let's go back. We're going to say goodbye to Tim and actually go sit in our, our seats. Um, and then we see all Michael's stumbling around trying to figure out his way back because, you know, we're in this crowd of thousands of people. He's trying to figure out his way back to the suites and the elevators are kind of tucked behind a corner. And so he's just, he's having a fun time though. Having a great time and go, Hey, Hal, what's going on? He goes, I'm lost. I have no idea where I am, but this is great. And so we take him back to the, the suite, get in the suite elevator. And, and here I'm going to, I'm going to be very egotistical here. So my, my favorite part is I haven't been back. I've been that, that there's been two times I've been back to three times. I've been back to Safeco field since I covered the Mariners nine years ago and that that was one of them and this is like four years later so we walk into the elevator in the suite so it's it's me and my wife al michaels and and one other person and the suite operator the uh, the elevator operator she goes to me she goes jeff you might not remember me i'm whatever but i love your stuff and, and she's like talking to me meanwhile al michaels is standing right there and and like she doesn't recognize al michaels and so that that was a fun part and then i go at one point hey do you know who al michaels here here's al michaels from um, so yeah, that's the one and only time that's ever going to happen when Al Michaels and me are in the same elevator. And, uh, <laughs> so that was fun. I didn't include that last part in the book because I don't want people to shut the book and throw it away at that. <laughs> we would. I, I, I tell the story about that night. And so what was important to me about that night wasn't, you know, cause honestly the seats that I paid for were better than, than that suite that I got to spend a little bit of time in. Yeah. Um, it was way further away, uh, from the stage, but um, the important part of that, and I was writing a story on them, was just to see the connections that they had. And that told me right away that, that these guys are serious. These guys are not bit players. They have friends with every team in the city. And so I knew right away, you're not going to get opposition from the Mariners about building a stadium that might compete for revenues with theirs. You're not gonna, and, and it also told me like they were on such good terms with the Mariners that they were probably going to go in on a root sports deal at some point um, because the Mariners own root sports. So uh, but but the the takeaway I had from that evening was it's it's game over because at the time there was still talk that they might get a Soto Arena proposal back on the table at council. I mean they were still fighting to have it. The Hanson Group was still working on that. <clears throat> but I knew right away that that there's no comparison between these two groups just in the relationships that they had, and I saw that firsthand. So that was my big takeaway. So some of that's in the book too. Okay, appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I just ate up half the show. No, you're good. Uh, where where can we buy your book? Tell her, tell us where. Well, I'm going to be standing on the street corner. They sent me about 50 extra copies here, so I'm going to stand there. <laughs> Drop traffic, sell them for 10 bucks. No, um, they are, you can get them anywhere. You can get Barnes & Noble online. You can get them online at Amazon. It's all pre-ordered. So once November 1st comes along, that's when they ship it. Okay. Um, and then you can buy them. I mean, it's supposed to be at every, you know, all the big bookstores. I'm doing a, an event on, uh, I think it's November 9th, I want to say, at Third Place Books up in um, uh, Lake Forest Park. And I'm going to be really mad at myself if I got the date wrong. I, I believe it's on a Wednesday night. So You are correct. You are yeah, correct. November, November 9th. Okay, great. So that's what I'm doing that. Um, there's other stuff that they're arranging, but that's the one book. That's one book signing. There's going to be more. Um, so third place books, you can get at Barnes and Noble, you can basically anywhere you buy fine books and, uh, in other, other fine goods nowadays. Are you going to take a book tour? To, to, do they have that in the plans? Too? Yeah, I mean, I want to, I, I, I'm spending a lot of time on the road with the hockey team and some of it in Canada where there's always going to be demand. Some of it in my hometown of Montreal, where I'm sure that there's going to be some, uh, some demand for it. So we're trying to arrange a bunch of stuff like that. Okay. 
I, I, I pre-ordered mine back in April when we talked to you, so I can't wait. I, I know. It's, it, I, I felt like telling you back then, man, you're going to have a long, long... <laughs> I mean, it seems like forever ago that I finished this thing, but it's just with the pandemic, shipping delays and everything, they really had to get everything done like three months earlier than they normally would just to make sure it all arrives on time. But I've seen, I've seen copies of it. Actually, I have one right here. And oh yeah, I think, I think it looks, I mean, there's something when you write something on a computer, it's not the same thing. Yeah, as, as when you actually you actually see it in a book. And Absolutely. So I don't know if I'm allowed to show these props on the show, but I, I didn't sign any waivers or anything. So. <laughs> uh, but That's know. awesome. How exciting. Oh, yeah. It is exciting. And, and the other, like I said, there's Jerry Bruckheimer's name right up there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that, that's a thrill for me. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I've met a lot of celebrities, but I, I mean, this guy's a legend in the movie industry. And so uh, for him to want a huge hockey fan as well. Uh, okay. We were talking for a while about uh, he, he I collect hockey cards uh, quite quite avidly and he uh he used to collect them as well when he was a kid and so um i collect some of the ones that he used to collect when he was a kid back in the 50s in detroit so he grew up a big red wings fan and uh used to sit he used to sit up in the in the bleachers basically with his dad and um they weren't a very wealthy family but they got whatever seats they could get kind of like me when i when i was younger we'd take whatever we could get to go see Montreal Canadiens games in Montreal and the games are always sold out either there or in Detroit. And so now that the fact that he's an owner is a really big deal to him um, just because it's, it's come full circle, even with all the Hollywood success, I think owning the hockey team is a huge deal for him. Awesome. Uh, before I ask a few cracking questions, I do want to mention that even though I should be promoting our podcast, but you were on Seth Everett's sports with friends this week or within the yeah. last week, and I, I heard bits and pieces of it, but he's a friend of the show, and I mean, great stuff. I mean, how, how'd you feel that interview went? Oh, I thought it went great. Um, you know, we, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, I've, I've known Seth for a long time, just back and forth. I, I didn't really get to meet him when he was here, because he left Seattle before, uh, before I did. I, I, well, no, he was kind of here. We kind of overlapped for a bit, but we, we never really ran into each other. He left, I want to say 2011. So I was here for a while, but uh, yeah, it's been a long time. And so, um, yeah, it was good to get on. I'd been with him uh, on a show or two of his uh, when he was guest hosting at KJR. And so, yeah, I thought, I thought that went really well. It was nice. He, he knew the right questions to ask because he was here for some of the Sonics history and especially the time when they when they left and and he's also a hockey fan which is a big deal um it's good you know what we need we need more like longtime hockey fans here in seattle i think in the media i think that we're, we're missing some of that i know mike salk over at 710 espn i know uh, or whatever they're calling it now seattle uh, seattle sports Seattle sports thank yeah. you yeah, he's gonna get on me for calling it that but <laughs> no he's a huge boston bruins fan going back years for, from his time in boston of course ian furness over at KJR, uh, long time, long time uh, junior hockey broadcaster and uh, uh, knows the sport really, really well. And he does some work for the Kraken as well, some fill-in radio for them. So he, uh, you know, he's big, but other than that, they're, they're, we're, we're kind of missing some of those lifelong people uh, who know hockey here in the media. So um, yeah, it was nice to talk to Seth Everett because he's a long time New Jersey Devils fan from out in New Jersey. So he knows the game. How do we, how do you just say that? So how do we change that and get these, you know, the Seattle media involved? I mean, and, and the fans more involved. I mean, how do we change that? 
Well, we don't have to change it. You know who has to change is the team. Okay. The team has to be better. And I think when the team is better, look, for example, I was out there today. You know, they won their first two games. Pretty exciting stuff. But, I mean, how are you going to compete with the Seattle Mariners, you know, yeah. playing a playoff game in town? How are you going to compete with the Seahawks already under? I mean, the Seahawks have built a legacy here for years. So this, the, the Kraken's legacy is one one season where they're the third worst team in the league. So that's not going to get the media out there to cover your morning skate. I, where I was out there today. There was me. There was a, a, few, a handful of bloggers, and that's it. And so, yeah, and, and you get the radio station that's out there covering them that's paid to be there. So you want to change that dynamic. You have to be better. You have to be uh, a good team. They're, they're, they're off to a good start this year, and they have to keep doing it. They have to, and it's going to take time. But I think, you know, if they do do that, and people forget that, you know, not so long ago, the Seahawks really weren't that big a deal in this town. And um, in fact, I covered the last Mariners playoff uh, series prior to this one. I covered it uh, with the Yankees in 2001 for the Toronto Star. So I was there, I was in New York and uh, for, the, for the last games. And, you know, that was, a, that was a heck of a long time ago, but people forget what a baseball town this used to be. And back then the Seahawks hadn't yet gone to their first Super Bowl. And so they were kind of the number two team in town, even though we consider ourselves a football town here, we're more of a fair weather town sometimes with sports. We go with whatever's hot. Um, and, you know, and it switched. Obviously, it's became a Seahawks town in the last decade and, and deservedly so because they, they actually did what it took on the field. You have to earn it sometimes, you know. And, and I, I said this, I, I got the feeling at times last year that, that the Kraken thought the media was just going to show up and cover them because they were here. It's like, hey, guys, we're here come cover us. And it's like, no, not really. You have to actually earn some respect locally. And I think when that happens, you're going to get more and more people following them coming out to, to give them coverage. The Seattle times gave them coverage. We were out every game on the road last year and we've hired two reporters to cover the team. There's, there's myself and Kate Shefty who just came here from Colorado and uh, she, she's going to be doing about a third of the road games this year. And, and we're going to be splitting some home duties. But, you know, so our paper is doing its part. But if you want everybody else in town to come out and start doing it and you want us to keep sending two reporters out there, your team has to get better. If you're going to be a last place team and the fourth best, fifth best team in town, you know, we, we don't have somebody following the Sounders around every single road game. I mean, things can change. So, you know, you got to earn it. And the Sounders are a team that have won championships, you know, multiple championships. And that, that's, uh, you know. So Kraken, they are a major pro sport. Major League Soccer is not a major pro sport yet in this country. Um, from a global perspective, the NHL is. It's the fourth best of the major pro sports. Um, but, you know, if you want us to keep treating you that way, you got to show that you're a major pro sport on the ice as well. And it's going to take some time. They gotta, they've got a chance now, from everything I hear, you know, for their home opener, they've made some major changes to the in-game entertainment product, which is good because I, I thought it was lacking last year. And, uh, you know, for the ticket prices they're charging, they could have had a much better in-game show in the arena, uh, you know, uh, off-ice entertainment, that kind of stuff. And they've, they've, you know, they had a bit of an excuse because of COVID last year, but there's no excuse this year. They really have to ramp it up. And they are, from what I've told, they're really trying very hard to ramp that part of it up. And, and so, you know, the more, the more they ingratiate themselves to the community here, I think the more media will come out and cover them. And I think then you'll get the, it'll take time, but then you'll get media that, that become ingrained in the sport of hockey. I mean, I grew up watching it. I've, I've been watching hockey, the NHL for 45 years, but I grew up in Montreal, you know, so probably more than 45, it's probably been about 40, almost 47 years now. 
from when I was a little kid. And when I was a kid, all through the 80s, I watched every single game that they played that I had a chance to on TV. Not all the games were televised back then. But when they weren't on TV, I was listening on radio. So I knew everything about that team, knew everything about the league. There's, there's a little bit of a difference, though, when you cover it professionally. Um, and so I think that that's part of a learning process for me as well. But the difference between me and some of the other folks is I have the background in my head. There's stuff I've forgotten about from 40 years ago that nobody in this market's even thought of. And so, I mean, that's just the way it is. You, you, I didn't plan it that way, but when, you're, you're, when you grow up in that environment, that's the way it's going to be. And so it's going to take time for them to build that up. They have it in other cities. They have that in all the Canadian cities and they have it in some of the US markets as well, but they don't have it here yet. And hopefully that changes. Okay. Uh, their 2022 first round pick, Shane Wright, made the team. Was that a good move by the Kraken? Or should they have optioned him down to get some playing time? No, it was a good move by the Kraken. There's absolutely no benefit for Shane Wright to go back to junior and just beat up on a bunch of 18-year-olds. I mean, that, that's, that's not going to help his development one bit. Um, you know, the difference with Matty Beniers last year going back to the University of Michigan is he's playing against guys who are in their 20s. You know, he's playing yeah. against grown men. He, he was going to play for the U.S. Olympic team against grown men. You know, and that, and he only did it for one year. You know, Beniers is only 19 now. So he played his age 18 season against those guys, which was a notch above. Well, it's, it's up there with junior. It's not quite a junior season, but, but he wanted that experience. I think if the team had its struggles, they would have had him in there last year too, but they weren't, they, they really had no leverage to force him back here. And I think it helped Beniers. Um, Wright hasn't had that experience. So Wright doesn't have that option of going back, going to college now and having that kind of an experience. Um, but I think he's going to learn more sitting here and playing every other game for the crack. And, and, and then, uh, you know, he was out on the ice this morning. He's where he, I don't know that he's going to play tonight. And, and right now we're doing this on a, on a Saturday for the, I don't know that he'll play in the home opener from what I saw, but he was out there doing a lot of extra work after the official practice was over with a handful of guys that were out on the ice. And so that's where he's going to learn. He'll, he'll get more experience doing that with professional athletes all around him all year long and being in this environment than he will going back to junior and scoring 50 goals against a bunch of kids that can't keep up with him. I mean, that's not, that's not going to help him at all. So Will Borgen had a very serious, I can't talk anymore, a similar experience with the Kraken last season. He's a young guy, hadn't really played much in the NHL and they kept him all year and they were afraid to send him through waivers because they knew he would get claimed because he's too talented not to, but they kept him here all year. And, 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 you know, his development didn't really suffer from it. He spent most of it in the press box, but he did play uh, but he, from time to time. And then he learned when he was at practice. And now he's out there. He's a regular on their, uh, on their third pairing. And he looks pretty good, but he knows he's hungry. He knows what it takes to stay in this league. And Shane Wright uh, has had a great attitude, I think, since camp began. I haven't seen anything amiss. I know there's been some blogging reports that he sat in front of a Zamboni and tried to – I mean, that's ridic that stuff's ridiculous. So – um, I haven't seen anything uh, negative come up or, or heard anything negative about the guy. I think he's got a great attitude. I met his parents. They seem like great people. Seem like he had a really nice upbringing. And so uh, I have no reason to believe that there's anything uh, that's going to go wrong with the way that they're, they're, they're bringing him in slowly uh, at this point. Awesome. Awesome. They got a lot of new faces this year to me anyways. I mean, is, can you give us one new face that would be like a pick to click who's going to do well with us this year, do you think? 
I've always thought Oliver uh, Bjorkstrand would be a guy, obviously, but but the guy that's really impressed me so far has been Justin Schultz, uh, who was kind of an underrated signing that they did. It was like a second-tier signing, a defenseman, right-handed shot defenseman. They've needed more of those. They're, they're a rare commodity in the NHL. I think only about a third of the defensemen skew right-handed. Most of them are left-handed shots. So by taking him, it gives them a much different look on their power play. Last year, they had two lefties that were kind of coordinating the power play, Mark Giordano and Vince Dunn. They still have Dunn now, and he's kind of the, the guy running the second power play unit. But now the first one, they have Schultz from the right side. And so it just gives you different options, different player personnel you can use. You'll notice Matty Bernier sets up in the right um, circle now. He's a left-handed shot, but the best one-time shots, if you're a left-hander, are going to come from the opposite side, believe it or not, the right side because it takes less time to get the puck to you and you can, you can actually fire the puck at the net at a much better scoring angle than if you shoot it from your regular side. So you'll, it, it's confusing, but if you're a lefty shot and you're a one-timer on the power play, you'd probably be better off being in the right circle and shooting from the right side than from the left side. And so that's how they're setting it up now because they've got a right-handed D-man that can run the point from the left side. He can get the puck much more quicker, much more quickly to Matty Beneers. And you've seen Beneers has already been a threat on the power play. The power play looks much better. So I think Schultz has been a, a, a huge addition for this team so far. And and on regular five-on-five play, he's good at moving the puck out of the zone quickly as well, which they need to do more of. Awesome. Uh, I know we're getting near the end, but I got a couple more quick questions. Sure. Your preseason ranking, you ranked them the, the Kraken 20, number 20. I mean, and then I re- what I read on the Athletic, uh, they, they they think that uh, the Kraken have the ability to just dis- cause disruption in the Western Conference. I mean, what are your thoughts? Are there going to be some big upsets this year? Do you think? Well, I'll tell you what. I already moved them up to number seventeen in my latest power rankings in the Seattle Times. After um, it's just actually going to run in print on on the Sunday, but it ran uh, online uh, yesterday. Uh, so I've moved them up to 17 already. I like what I saw against LA. I like what I saw against Anaheim. They should have won both those games. Um, and so that means they can compete. Uh, and, and Los Angeles was a uh, 39 points better than them last year and made the playoffs. So uh, they, they went into LA and just laid a good thumping on them. And so that shows me they can play with the playoff teams. And uh, I, I honestly think that they can challenge for a playoff spot for a good part of the year. And you never know if the longer you hang in a playoff race and I've learned this in pro sports and you saw this with the Mariners, you know, they, they, they were terrible to start this season in baseball, but they hung in there long enough. And then they started to win. And when you start winning, you, you believe you can actually win at times. So if the Kraken actually get to the month of February within sniffing distance of a playoff spot, and they actually think they're good enough to get there. You never know. I've seen stranger things happen. Uh, so I, I would probably, you know, I, to start the year, I gave him about a 25% chance of making the playoffs, I would say. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they do with the Vegas Golden Knights and some other teams they have coming up in their first week or two. Uh, and then we'll have a very good idea where they stand against some of the better teams in the league. So far, I like what I've seen. Awesome. And then last question I want to ask is, who, who's this other goalie on the team this year? I mean, I'm still new to hockey. Mar- Martin Jones, is that his name? Yeah, Martin Jones. He's been around a while. Uh, was in San Jose for a bit. I believe he was with Vancouver. He was with the Flyers last year. Flyers weren't very good. So he's probably a little happier to have a better team in front of him this year. Believe it or not, the Kraken are a better team. Uh, it's a very different team from last year. So Martin Jones, look, he's a backup goalie. He's, he's not. He, he, the problem with backups, it's kind of like fifth starters in baseball. Everybody in baseball wants the fifth starter because he, he does well for a couple of games. They want to see him take a regular turn in the rotation. They want to see him be a number one. They go, what's the difference? There's no difference. Yeah, there is. Difference is you start 
pitching your fifth starter on a regular rotation, they're out, they're going to start to revert from, from being very good to being a fifth starter like they're supposed to. And the same thing with backup goalies. There's a reason they're backups at their, at, at Martin Jones's age. Uh, you start playing him 50 games a year and you'll see his numbers start to decline, I would think. But using him in a spot start, using him like they did the other night, um, look, I don't think he was spectacular in the win over the Kings, but I do think the one thing I liked was he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't make a blunder that's going to cost them the game. And some of the best quarterbacks in football are the ones that can manage a game that way. You know, they're not going to throw five touchdown passes, but they're also not going to throw that stupid interception right, right when your team's about to grab the momentum and just kill everything off. And so there's a difference. So sometimes that's all you need in a goalie. And if the defense plays well in front of you, you just need a guy who's not going to mess everything else up. And, uh, you know, Philip Grubauer, uh, he didn't do that well in the opener. He didn't make any egregious mistakes, but he also didn't make any big stops for, for the Kraken either against the Ducks. And you know what? They're paying him $6 million. I think they expect more, and I, I think that's a reasonable thing. They expect him to make a big save every now and then that he's maybe not supposed to make, according to the stats. But, you know, they would have me in that's if I'm only going to stop the easy ones. So if they don't, uh, they, they expect him to do a little more. Martin Jones did that the other night. He... Uh, he didn't allow any 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 freakish goals that, that were going to kill his team's momentum. He kept them in the game. Did all right, you know. And sometimes that's all you need. You just need to be okay. Okay. Good. That's great. Great news for me to hear because, like I said, I'm still learning. But yeah, I'm no, I mean that's that's it. Look, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup this year. But I think from what I've seen and from what was expected going in, they're going to be a lot more entertaining. They're already more entertaining to watch. Um, there's nothing more frustrating in hockey than watching a team take 40 shots to score one goal and then the other team comes back and take one shot and scores a goal on their, their third try or something like that. That's what the story was for them last year. And I don't think that's going to be the case this year. So, all right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Jeff. Can, where can we find you on social media? You can find me at, um, at, uh, God, what is my uh, social at, uh, G Baker times is my, uh, my Twitter account. And then you can find me on, Instagram. I got to get better at, at Instagram. I don't even know what my Instagram handle is, but yeah, Twitter at G Baker times. You can find me on Facebook. I have my professional channel and my, uh, my personal Facebook, but I put my stuff up on both. Um, I don't even know what the handle is on that. I, sh I should probably know better. On That's that. all right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. And once again, real quick, tell our, tell our fans where they can buy rising from the deep. You can buy it at, uh, Amazon. You can buy it at, um, uh, Barnes and Noble, you could buy it. I mean, look, just Google the title and there's a million other websites for books where you can get them at um, Goodreads. Uh, yeah, but the primary ones, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and anywhere you would buy a book, they basically have it. They've had it up there for months. So you just have to pre-order it and then it'll be delivered on November 1st. Awesome, all right. Well, thank right you. Time, right in time for Christmas. Oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to get one for my dad. He's excited about that, so. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for joining us again on the Seattle Sports Union podcast. Uh, crack and play tonight at 6 o'clock. Go watch the Mariners and then go watch the Crack and Night play, man. It's a fun weekend in Seattle. So. It's going to be a good sports weekend, yeah. Absolutely. Have a good one, and and we will have this posted on our Facebook page and our Twitter, and we'll let you know when it's on. So thanks again, Jeff. Sounds good. At least you know your Twitter uh, handle Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. You can tell me mine if you look it up. So, no, uh, all right. <laughs> all right. Go crack and have a good one. All right. Take care. You too.